You're listening to the Joy of Preparedness podcast for February 1st, 2015. Richard Ruge and Skip Gerrells are talking with Matt Stevens and John Zanzi about the Smart Train, which is the Sonoma Marin Area Rail Transit, commonly called the Smart Train. Please note that there are inconsistent volume levels. You may have to adjust your volume. So we're going to be here with uh, people talking about the smart train, which is very exciting. Um, the smart train is something that I've just kind of watched out of the periphery, and, and I've really not really learned um, that much about it. But after talking, Skip and I t- talked with our two guests and I began to realize how important this uh, the smart train is and how it's going to enhance the quality of our life in the North Bay. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. So John and Matt are here. And could you kind of give us a background of how you got involved with uh, the smart train and where you come from and all that stuff? Good morning. Uh, this is Matt speaking. I uh, began working for the smart uh, train actually when it was the smart commission back in 2001 um, there uh, the, the smart commission was a, uh, a, a joint powers multi-jurisdictional commission that was formed to look at the feasibility of reestablishing uh, passenger rail service in the north bay and uh, uh, they hired as part of a consulting team that was hired in 2001 and i've worked in the smart project uh, for about well, almost 14 years was hired by Smart in 2012 full time to manage the community relations. Wonderful. So that's the role, the specific role, Matt, is community. What is community outreach? Community. Well, the te- technically, if you look at my job description, it's uh, public education and outreach. Okay. But I, my orientation towards the work has always been about community, and so the way I frame it is community relations. Right. And John. Yeah, my name is John. I'm. Uh, the safety and emergency response consultant with SMART. I'm not a full-time employee, but I do uh, work for them on an as-needed basis to handle safety and security needs for the organization in the planning, construction, and then eventually operations. Um, If you'd like a little bit of my background. Yes. um, My background is uh, in the fire service. I I spent 31 years in different fire departments, uh, ending my career before I retired in 2011 at the Sebastopol Fire Department. I was their fire chief for 19 years. Uh, in that role, I uh, you know, headed a, an emergency response organization, obviously, and was also the emergency manager for the city. So uh, anything that had to do with disaster response or disaster preparedness or, or, and uh, um, you know, emergency management, that was my responsibility also. Um, so those skills actually kind of uh, morphed into something different. Um, I've always had a, a, a hobby interest in railroading and the fact that we're building a railroad here in Sonoma Marin County and being able to take my old skills and use those in a new way was very exciting. So three years ago, I approached SMART and talked to the general manager and asked if a guy like me with my skills had any usefulness to the organization. And he was pretty excited about it. And so I've been kind of like the liaison to fire and EMS um, and some law enforcement agencies uh, throughout the two counties, uh, getting them prepared uh, for us and, you know, working to make our uh, uh, rail system safe. Great, great. So, uh, I, I would like to know a little bit about Matt's background. Why, why are you where you are? Well, um, 
how far shall I go back? <laughs> Kindergarten. <laughs> uh, actually, I moved to California to be a rock musician. Ah, yes. And, uh, did that <laughs> right. for a number of years in the Bay Area and, and eventually decided that uh, that it wasn't the lifestyle I was interested in. Uh, I actually I had a young family and felt it was important to, to be an at-home dad. And so I went to school at Sonoma State, and that's what brought me to uh, Sonoma County. And mm. like many people who go to Sonoma State, you discover Sonoma County and you never want to leave. Um, so... Uh, and I've been, I've been fortunate in that I've been able to carve out a career, a consulting career in the North in the Bay Area doing strategic planning and leadership and organization development. I have a master's in organization behavior from Sonoma State University. And, uh, and, that's, that, and that's actually kind of how I ended up getting uh, consulting work for SMART. Uh, the SMART Commission in 2000 uh, realized that to implement the SMART project, you would have to pass a, sales, a local sales tax measure because federal and state funding was pretty clear even back then was not available for uh, uh, a commuter rail project in, in an area like the North Bay. And so um, the executive director at the time, uh, Lillian Hames, uh, felt that they would have to hires a team who would do something different than what sort of the standard Caltrans approach was back then. And so they put a request for proposal out asking for creative and innovative ways to engage with the public uh, that would uh, uh, yield the result of, of uh, passing a sales tax measure uh, by a two-thirds majority, which is no small feat, 66.6%. Uh, uh, is is a uh, is a very high threshold, right. and so uh, I was a part of a team uh, of organization development consultants who our specialty was actually um, um, multi stakeholder engagement. That's how we approached our consulting work, and so we designed a proposal that was based on a stakeholder identification and engagement, uh, and we won the contract. So that's kind of how I ended up at Smart. Right. Great. Is there a band that we wouldn't recognize that you played for? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Bare Bones. Um, uh, the Bare Bones band is a local reggae, folk reggae band, and we right. uh, the the keyboard players lives out at Ocean Song, which is an Occidental right. uh, landmark. Mm-hmm. We play at Oxid. We play at Ocean Song a couple times a year on their outdoor stage uh, at the yet the basically the uh, equinoxes. Right. Right. And, right. Uh, so. Come on out. Yeah, yeah. that's great. It's a great connection. So I want to talk a little bit about that West County connection because John actually didn't, didn't give his last name yet, and I want to mention that it's John Zanzi so that a lot of the people in the West County understand who John Zanzi is. I mean, uh, um, how, how do you know John? Well, yeah. Well, I want to mention John quietly mentions that he was involved with, <laughs> with the Sebastopol Fire Department, but it's a little bit more than that actuality. Um, John was obviously has been involved with the fire and involved with emergency services, as, as he mentioned, and he was also the person that really championed the CERT program for Sebastopol, which has turned out to be a, a still ongoing program, you know, which is great that he's got that longevity. So John's got a, a pretty pretty good history in West Sonoma County, and I really appreciate the fact that learning the other, the other day and today that Matt does too, I really like the fact that there is a Sonoma County connection and a West County connection in particular to what we're talking about today and this project that has been brought brought up into this area. So I'm really pleased about that. It, and how, and it, it became very evident to me when we talked with you prior to this radio show is how much you care about the 
the quality of life of Sonoma County and how much the smart train is going to enhance it. So I'm looking forward to what you have to say about that. Yeah. You got into a little bit of the history of it, of, of your connections to, you know, coming into it, but I'd really like to get a little bit more, maybe to start out with that, just about the history of the smart train mm-hmm. itself and whichever one of you can speak to that or you can share that back and forth. Well, I'll, I'll take a crack at it, and then, John, you can uh, fill in if you feel uh, moved. Um, the, the, the SMART project is utilizing a historic uh, rail right-of-way. Uh, the Union Northern, is actually the Northwestern Pacific right-of-way. Southern Pacific was the owner of that, and it was built in the late 1800s, and uh, along with many other rail, uh, railroads in the, in the California, but also in the North, North Bay. They weren't the only one, mm-hmm. but they became the main one. The Southern Pacific uh, Railroad uh, provided freight service and, and passenger service actually between uh, Eureka, California, and the Bay Area. And so uh, this rail corridor uh, extends from to, uh, Marin County uh, north uh, through uh, Mendocino County and up into Humboldt County. It follows the uh, Eel River um, between here and, and Eureka. That portion of the, of the rail corridor has long since washed out, and, and there is no... Um, uh, feasibility in terms of reestablishing that. However, the uh, SMART corridor was um, actually purchased uh, and protected uh, by by, uh, local uh, Sonoma County and Marin County supervisors and the Golden Gate Bridge District. Um, Southern Pacific was putting the corridor up for sale in the 70s because they were getting out of the freight business. And uh, our local electeds at the time, who I consider visionaries, uh, these are individuals who had a vision that someday uh, we may want to reestablish passenger rail service. And they knew that if uh, the rail corridor uh, was purchased by developers and turned into the backyards, that we would never uh, have the financial uh, feasibility to purchase right-of-way uh, for passenger rail service in the North Bay. And so these individuals, I just have to tip my hat to them because they had a vision and they acted on that vision. Mm -hmm. And they purchased the corridor uh, probably by the late 80s. It took about five or six years to do that, Um, but it was brought into ownership by probably 86 or 7. Um, Between that time and the the 2000s, when, you know, I kind of come into the picture and the Smart Commission was formed, uh, there was a couple of significant studies that were done. Uh, I refer, the, refer to them as the Wilbur Smith study and the Calthorpe report. And, uh, but the Wilbur Smith study was called the Feasibility Study of Intercity Rail Passenger Service. That was done in 1992. And, uh, and the Calthorpe report was the Sonoma Marin Multimodal Transportation and Land Use Study. Academics are great, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, and both of these studies looked at uh, both... The, the, the future growth patterns, development patterns, and employment patterns uh, that were uh, emerging in the North Bay. And it became quite clear uh, that Highway 101 would not provide the capacity uh, for um, commuters uh, and other, other people who need to get travel back, back and forth in the North Bay. And, and just to tie this in with emergency preparedness, you know, uh, prior to this is true today, until we actually get passenger rail up and running, uh, if there's any kind of, of, of issue with, uh, with flooding or with, um, uh, say, an overpass that comes down or something, and it blocks Highway 101, that is our only way to get north and south. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, back to the history. 
The uh, Smart Commission was established in, in 2000. Um, there were a couple of sales tax measures that were on the ballot in the late 90s that did not pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and frankly, I think it's because they were a combo combination sales tax measures where you, were, you had highway widening mm-hmm. and passenger rail service together. Mm-hmm. And politically, uh, you, the, the, you had the train advocates who didn't really like highways, and you have the highway people who don't really like trains, and they, you couldn't muster that 66% yes vote mm-hmm. that you needed to pass a sales tax measure. Mm-hmm. Um, the Smart Commission decided to put the sales tax measure on the ballot as just a standalone, and we did this in 2006, and uh, the, the measure narrowly lost. I think we got about 65% yes vote, which by any electoral standard is a tsunami, but except in the state of California. and um, uh, But the smart board, and by then it was a, a board, I, probably, I missed one actually p- significant piece of history, which is that, and I'll even tell a little story about it too, um, because it's a local character that's involved. Uh, one of the things that we did when we were, the team I was a part of, when we were first hired uh, by the smart commission, um, we did uh, a very thorough stakeholder analysis of all the various interest groups, uh, thought leaders in, in the various communities in the North Bay, Marin and Sonoma County. And we started conducting, um, uh, well, they were focus groups, but we called them town hall meetings. Uh, and, and these were invite only, and we would invite about 10 to 12 people. And they were a mix of thought leaders, representatives of various stakeholder groups. And... Um, we talked to them about the project. This was our first opportunity to kind of educate them about what the project was and get their input to what the project should look like and how to solve any kind of problems that we had. And one of the problems that we had um, at the time, we called the Marin problem. And is because at that point in time, it was very difficult to get more than about 45% yes vote in Marin County. Mm-hmm. And um, the, uh, and, and so you know, at the time we had to pass sales tax measures in both counties into separately and individually. Uh, Eric Konenshofer, who is a former supervisor and, and, and local attorney, and uh, was at one of these meetings, and he said that's a really easy problem to solve. You just get the state assembly to pass legislation that creates a transportation district, and uh, and have that district have the assembly basically build into that legislation. The district has the ability to put sales tax measures on the ballot as a district. And then as a district, you'll get that 66.6% yes vote. Mm -hmm. And we did that. And uh, the next election cycle that came around actually was also happened to be uh, the Obama election, which, you know, we had record voter turnout. And so uh, we actually got nearly 70% yes vote in the district, Mm -hmm. 69.45, I think, and um, which is a remarkable uh, amount of support. Now, today, if you ask me, and I get asked this a lot, well, Okay, Sonoma County, you know, drug Marin County across the finish line. There's no support in Marin County, and that's just not true. There's actually tremendous support for SMART in Marin County. Mm-hmm. Um, Marin County in that election produced over 65% yes vote. Wow. Okay, so by any electoral standard, that's a tsunami. Mm-hmm. And um, I do a lot of, you know, our, our, one of our approaches to community outreach uh, is to actually go into the communities that we serve 
and um, we do street fairs, we do county fairs, we do festivals, and, and we put up tables and booths, and we talk to people all the time. And uh, the support for the SMART project in Marina County as well as Sonoma County is huge and has and been as maintained over the, over the last several years it's taken to kind of get to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. That's great. I was interested to know what the difference might be with Marin County the second time around. You know, from 45% to 65%. Right. Yeah. Yay Obama, right? Well, actually, actually, it's it's you know I think the train sells itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it really I think we're reaching a point now where um, you know our, our general manager Farhad Mansurian likes to uh, think of the he talks about the train as a game changer, and it really is a game changer in the North Bay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that that. Uh, from now into our children's, children's, children's lives, uh, rail transportation will become increasingly important to our mobility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's really true, too. What about the overall length of it through Sonoma and Marin counties? Like, what's the length and, like, number of stops? Okay, here, here's a few sort of uh, details around that. Okay. Um, uh, well, actually, I'm going to take one more little piece of history. Okay. okay so so um, the one other thing that happened in 2008 besides the election of, of – uh, Barack Obama to president, and the passage of uh, Measure Q, uh, the rail uh, measure, um, the economy had a pretty significant downturn. Mm -hmm. And so um, the smart board had to, uh, well, our sales tax revenues uh, were much less than we anticipated. And and actually, the impact of the bond market as well. And so the way you'd build a large uh, construction project that's backed by sales tax uh, funds is you you sell bonds. They're backed by those sales tax funds, and that's how you get your capital up front to do the construction work and to purchase the trains. Well, the bond market was taken out for a good six to ten months mm-hmm. in 2008, and uh, our sales tax revenues were down. So the smart board had to make a decision on how to deliver the project given the economic conditions that we found ourselves in. And so uh, they made a decision to phase the project into two phases. Uh, and so that's what we're working on today is the first phase. And that first phase is a 43-mile segment that goes from Airport Boulevard to downtown San Rafael. And there's 10 stations in that first phase segment. And, uh, and, the, and the good thing about the first phase segment is it captures about 80% of the total ridership we would have expected uh, from the Cloverdale to Larkspur. Uh, a system. So we're capturing most of the riders and providing service to most of the riders today in the first phase. Mm. And I should mention, too, that we're actually poised uh, to uh, extend the project to Larkspur. We've actually extended the project twice since that decision was made to phase the project. Mm-hmm. The original first phase was downtown Santa Rosa to downtown San Rafael. And we've extended it to Guerneville Road and again to Airport Boulevard. Mm. And this is uh, due both to um, the construction bids coming in lower than expected and our regional, local and regional funding partners recognizing the importance of having a station at a regional uh, transportation hub at the airport. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they feel the same about Larkspur as well. Mm-hmm. Even though most of the jobs and most of the travel trips are in the North Bay, it is important to have that regional connectivity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so we're have about two-thirds of the funds to get to Larkspur. Uh, the Federal Transit Administration brought us into their small starts program last year, and we we're finishing up our federal environmental documents that will allow us to apply for grants uh, to make that Larkspur extension. For those of us who are visual, <laughs> what are we going to see, um, and, and why do you call it state-of-the-art? 
The well, um, we're going to be operating two car train sets that uh, look state of the art. I, I, I wish I could uh, describe. Well, I'll describe them a little here. They're they're very sleek. Um, they're a stainless steel body with green accent. Um, each two-car train set will hold approximately 160 people seated and 160 people standing, um, and, and t- approximately 24 bicycles per two-car train set. Um, they're a quiet train. Uh, I often get asked what the noise levels will be, and uh, it produces about the same amount of noise as a standard city bus does. Um, we're using something called continuously welded rail, uh, railroad tracks, uh, with concrete ties, and this is the state of the art. Yeah, go through that again. Yeah, c- continuously welded. <laughs> <laughs> the, ra- the railroad industry has a lot of acronyms also. <laughs> so like, CWR. Right. <laughs> it sounds like they're, they're doing that all the time. It so, is the state of the art. Yeah. Uh, it, it used to be that the railroads rail would be joined together with joints that were bolted together and there'd be a small gap between each stick of rail and each stick of rail would be about 80 feet and so that's where you got your clickety clack mm-hmm. but continuously welded rail uh provides an extremely smooth ride and for um fast speed trains and i think of smart as a fast speed train we'll be going about 80 miles an hour um, 79, exactly. That's what the FR, Federal Road Administration allows us to go. Mm-hmm. Um, the trains go faster than that. Uh, high-speed rail goes about 150 miles an hour. So I think of SMART as a fast-speed train. Mm-hmm. Um, and the concrete ties actually uh, help dampen the, the vibration. Mm-hmm. And so um, we think that the people will not be noticing these trains very much when they go by. Mm-hmm. But, but the fact that we're building the railroad from scratch, we're really replacing every piece of the system. So it's all new track structure, new bridge structures, um, a new signaling system that, that, op- that the train uses to operate where it goes to, mm-hmm. and new vehicles. New vehicles are state-of-the-art. Uh, they meet uh, the Tier 4 um, emission standard. Mm-hmm. Tier 4 is the highest standard for diesel uh, combustion engines mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to be one of the first railroads in the country to go to that tier four level mm-hmm. so we're going to the cleanest possible rail vehicles that are out there mm-hmm. the way the rail vehicles work is they have a small diesel engine similar to like a uh, over the road long haul truck and each car has one of those diesel engines um, it produces electricity through a, an alternator generator system that electricity goes to electric motors that run the wheels mm-hmm. so it's a diesel electric Locomotive, So it takes diesel, makes electricity, and then that electricity provides the smooth uh, acceleration and deceleration of the train. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very efficient system, and uh, we're really excited that we're going to be one of the first out there that has that. That's great. That's great. So so essentially the the train would go north with a set of cars, and then it doesn't have to turn around? It just just changes directions and goes back down? Right. The two cars are mirror images of each other, and uh, I often get asked, well, you'll be running trains south during the morning and north in the afternoon, and actually we run both directions simultaneously. Mm-hmm. We, uh, even though this is a single, uh, a single track system, we've got uh, strategically located passing tracks uh, that enable the <laughs> trains <good. that laughs> enable the trains to pass each other. Um, and uh, we, I've seen the simulations, and it seems to work. Right. Um, and so the first tar- first train. Uh, we'll leave uh, Airport Boulevard approximately 5 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then when the, that train gets to San Rafael, the second train will leave. 
And then when that train gets to San Rafael, the first train will head north, carrying passengers. And then during the whole commute period, you'll have trains going in both directions. So what, what's the time between Airport Boulevard and San Rafael? Uh, probably, oh, I'm going to say what the time is between Santa Rosa and San Rafael, because I do know that. Uh, Santa Rosa and San Rafael is about 55 minutes. And mm-hmm. so you'd have to add two more stations and stops. And so right. maybe hour 10 Right. You know, hour 15. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, no, and, and for those of, uh, for, for of our listeners who commute uh, between Sonoma County and Marin County, you know that uh, it's easily an hour and a half commute during the peak commute hours, mm-hmm. um, often longer because of the slowdowns in Petaluma and Novato. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you mentioned earlier also, I, I thought anyway, you were mentioning about like just North Bay specific traffic, but isn't the largest part of the traffic in the North Bay actually heading into Marin or is that not the case? Yes. Uh, you know, I like to think of uh, the commute population as uh, Marin County's professional working class. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a tremendous number of teachers, doctors, nurses, firemen, policemen, uh, county workers, city workers. Uh, who who make a good living, but the median home price in Marin County right now is just about a million dollars, and uh, it's very difficult for somebody right. who makes less than two hundred thousand dollars a year to buy a home mm-hmm. in Marin County. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's you know, I mean, you see them on the road all the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean that's that's where it's heading. But it, I remember reading some stats where there's a, a smaller group that actually goes into the city, and I thought that there that that would be the larger group actually heads into San Francisco, but it's a huge group that drops off in Marin. Right. Uh, when you get through Marin County, if you're driving to San Francisco, you'll notice that traffic gets much lighter mm-hmm. once you pass downtown San Rafael's exit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When will I get to ride? Um, it, uh, we're on track, actually, to uh, begin passenger service uh, by, the, yep, uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> by the end of 2016. Um, our first two-car train set actually will be arriving at the end of March. Uh, so these cars are being manufactured as we speak, and, and uh, it will, we'll take delivery of uh, two more train cars uh, approximately every four to six weeks until we take full delivery probably by the end of the summer in the, or into the fall sometime. Mm-hmm. And we are beginning a very extensive testing phase. Uh, this is why even though it's the beginning of 2015, we're actually probably won't be seeing passenger service until the end of 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to tr- uh, test the pilot cars. We have to test all the cars when they come. We have to test all the systems and how the systems work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to uh, actually uh, test our service. And mm-hmm. so towards, uh, towards sometime in 2016, you'll be seeing uh, mock service occurring. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you encourage people to go watch? Well, uh, I'm not going to necessarily encourage people to go watch, but I will encourage people to be safe if they're watching. Right. Um, it, you know, uh, safety is is paramount uh, to the organization and to the people in the organization. We haven't had uh, train activity uh, in the North Bay uh, in any significant levels for a really long time. It's about been uh, since – well, the last passenger train ran in 1958. Mm-hmm. So there's been about two generations of people who – who really haven't grown up with trains, and and, tr- and trains are very unforgiving. Um, uh, whether you're yes, in a car are. or yeah. on foot, if you <laughs> yeah, get in the yeah, way of a train, yeah. uh, you will likely not survive that encounter. Right, yeah. right, right. And you, you had talked when we got together. You were talking about like the distance that it takes, and we talk about. I think most of us know that it takes a while for a car to stop. If you, if you slam on your own brakes, you realize how long it takes. Well, it takes, takes it takes a, a freight train uh, approximately two football fields in length to stop. 
the commuter rail vehicles that we're using are a little bit lighter. Uh, they'll stop a little more quickly. But, but by the time a train operator sees you on the tracks, no matter how far away you are, and that person hits the brakes, they will likely hit you before if you're not getting out of the way. So, so we've actually, uh, two years ago, we started a, a rail safety campaign. And we've been uh, basically, um, again, pun intended, full steam ahead. Um, uh, on rail safety education, it's a part of everything we do, mm-hmm. and sure, uh, sure. I'll probably talk some more about that today. Yeah, yeah, we do want to talk about that. I was sort of curious about the um, the, the crossings, coming to the crossings, and then the length of time, and how those kinds of things are actually will, will actually be working. I know you you've, you've thrown out some well, you've thrown out some ideas on the length of time. Sure, and uh, and I'll try and address that, Matt. You let me know if my my statistics are wrong, but. Um, Crossings are, again, regulated by the federal government. You know, we, we have a lot of safety regulations that we need to meet, and, you know, and we're definitely going to make sure our rail system meets that level of safety and probably a higher level of safety than it's even required by the federal government. Um, crossings, you know, wherever you have vehicle and pedestrians interface with the railroad, um, it's always a very dangerous location. Uh, again, at a crossing, the railroad always has the right-of-way. Um, it's not like a, a vehicle intersection where two cars show up at the same time and then there's a decision made of who gets the right-of-way. Well, in the railroad, the, the, the train always wins. It, it, it has the right-of-way to go through that crossing. So because of that, we put safety things in place to, to make that um, – a level of safety reasonable. So we're going to put flashing lights. We're going to have bells that ring at the crossing. And then we have gates that come down and block cars and pedestrians from entering the crossing. Mm-hmm. Well, if all those things work perfectly and the other side of it is the public recognizes those safety items and obeys them, mm-hmm. there will never be a problem. Sure, sure. But but unfortunately, that's not human nature. Yeah. And there are humans involved. There are humans involved. <laughs> so as a train approaches a crossing, 20 seconds before the train crosses that intersection, um, the, the warning systems will start to activate. The, the actual locomotive or the train engineer will sound a horn, and it's a very specific sounding. They do um, two long blasts of the horn, one short and one long blast. That's a, that's a, a, a national standard, so everybody knows what a train's supposed to sound like. So it's a very s- specific sequence of, of horn blasts as they approach and go through that intersection. Um, and then once the train is through the intersection, the gates will come back up, the bells will stop, and traffic will proceed. That takes probably what... About 40 seconds total um, to get through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have some all pedestrian crossings on the system where, a, like a, a trail along a, a waterway crosses the track. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kept the integrity of those trails by putting in specific crossings with bells, lights, and flashers and gates for pedestrians. So mm-hmm. even though you're a pedestrian, you still have to obey those laws and, and allow the train that right-of-way to go through the intersection. Mm-hmm. The nice part is, is is 40 seconds is not a long time, right. and uh, uh, it's not inconvenient. You know, In some areas of the country, a freight train could be over a mile long and moving at 20 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So it could take you know, five, ten minutes for a crossing to be fouled, we call it, um, with a train so cars aren't able to proceed across it. Mm-hmm. Smart's not going to have that issue. Mm-hmm. Our trains are short and fast. They'll get through the intersection very, very quickly. And, again, it's a state-of-the-art system, so the, the gates are not going to stay down any longer than absolutely possible. Right, right. I, I lived in the, the South Bay for a little while, and, and they, they had the commuter trains there, and, and they, they, they were 
weren't really a bother. It didn't seem like it was anything that people... I mean, it, they'd been there for a while, though. So I think it's the fact that people haven't seen, you know, the trains of any kind, and the last ones they did see were freight trains. You know, or maybe it was passengers, on, you know, but they were longer, and they would take longer at the intersections. I think that's a, a big deal. And then I've watched them build those crossings. They're like very, very different than some of the ones that you go over to that haven't been replaced yet. They're very, very different. You used a verb, vowled? Fouled. Fouled. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. When I say fouled, that just means the the crossing is obstructed by something. So it could either be fouled by a vehicle that that's broken down on the track, and so that track is fouled. In other words, it's not uh, the train isn't capable of getting through there safely, or the train's going through, which fouls the crossing for the uh, vehicles and pe- pedestrians. So, yeah. Should we throw in a little safety tip here, since we're talking about uh, vehicles uh, getting stalled out on the tracks? Yes. Okay. Um, I just actually fired up a PowerPoint presentation. I got my computer here for those who uh, aren't sitting in the room with me. I was actually going to get the actual stopping distances for a variety of type of vehicles. Um, but there is a safety tip with regards if your car breaks down on the tracks and you can't. It, so And it's fouled. And it's fouled. <laughs> yes. Um, what you want to do is to get out of your car and anybody else that's in the car, whether it's a baby or a child, you know, make sure you get everybody out. And, if there's, and, and you want to run or safely fa- move fast, whether it's walking or running, in an angle that's actually towards the direction that the train is coming. If hmm. you run sideways or actually away from the train, that's true. when the train hits the car, the car yeah. will explode and, I mean, not, not like with fireball, but it will just, the parts will come apart. Right. And uh, you, you could be hit by that. If So what you want to do is run towards the train at an angle, about a 45-degree angle. Right. Um, Which sounds a little counterintuitive. It does. <laughs> Running towards the train, but to think about where the... The demolition is going to be taking place. It makes total sense that it's going to that the train is going to move the car further down the track, and you mm-hmm. want to be as far away from that as you possibly right. can. Right. Yeah, so here are the stopping distances. I just want to get these out, uh, yeah. Yeah. out of the way here. So a freight train takes about five thousand two hundred eighty feet to stop. Once they hit the brakes, the it's over five thousand feet to stop. So what uh, does that look like? A football field or it's a mile? It's a mile. mile. Okay, it takes about a mile. Just want to make sure we had accurate distances. Right. Just yeah. um, a commuter train uh, would take about six hundred feet to stop. Wow. So big, big difference. Yeah. It's still six. Well, you're talking a vehicle, a train set that's got eighty cargo laden cars on it, mm-hmm. uh, versus a two car train set. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, by comparison, a freight, a, a truck. A freight truck takes about 300 feet to stop. A school bus wow. takes about 230 feet to stop. And an automobile takes about 200 feet to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I'll say about trains in terms of stopping, this is one of my favorite little sort of things to talk, talk to students, especially young kids, is I, I show, I'll show a picture in a presentation. I'll say, where's the steering wheel on this train? And they'll say, ah, there's no steering wheel. Trains can't get, can't swerve. They can't, they can't avoid you. You have to be aware of your surroundings and avoid the train. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right. So um, one of the things that I read was about um, emergency vehicles being able to either trigger. I mean, how do we emergency vehicles deal with those crossings if it happens to be down? I mean, how does, how does that work? Yeah, you know, an emergency vehicle has no uh, 
extra authority at a rail crossing than any vehicle does. Ah, okay. um, there's no exemption for emergency vehicles, and actually some vehicles have higher levels of safety, like buses and, and trucks carrying hazardous materials like gasoline and those things. They actually have to stop at the crossing whether or not a train's coming or not right, and, right. and make sure it's clear. Um, emergency vehicles don't have any exemptions from that or any control over the crossing. So mm-hmm. if a train is coming, the emergency vehicle stops uh, just like any car would. A lot of times they'll even shut off their emergency warning lights and siren because it just confuses mm-hmm. other drivers. Mm-hmm. And then once the crossing is clear, not fouled, right, um, right, then right. they can uh, <laughs> the gates go up, they turn their lights and siren back on and, and proceed across that. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, will it cause delays? Well, it could cause short delays in emergency response. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're, we do have is the ability for the emergency responders to know where the trains are on our system. Hmm. So we're building a system that provides uh, GPS data of our rail equipment to the emergency responders. So a a fire captain sitting in a fire engine on the way to emergency can look at, they have a little laptop computer on the dashboard of their fire engine, and they have that today. Mm -hmm. And they can look and they can see a train is approaching the area they're in Mm -hmm. and so they can decide you know is there an alternate route that i might be able to take to get to this emergency that will avoid that train Mm -hmm. or at least have a heads up that a train is coming and to be able to safely approach that intersection with the train right so they wouldn't necessarily be able to radio or call or do anything to affect that the travel of the train though no, if, if, if there was a, an emergency situation that involved the railroad, in other words, there was a vehicle accident in an intersection, there is a system in place for them to contact us as soon as possible mm-hmm. and, and advise us of that so we can slow or stop our trains mm-hmm. from proceeding you know, into that blocked track. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a day-to-day basis, the answer would be no. Yeah. So you may not know this, but that just sort of like brings up the question for me, if, you're, if I'm approaching the... Um, the crossing and the arm is maybe getting ready to come down and there's an emergency vehicle behind me. I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be pulling over anyway. I mean, I'm supposed to be getting out of the way anyway so that maybe they'd be able to make it to the crossing sooner, not necessarily trying to beat the train, but then they would be maybe first instead of being two or, you know, if everybody does what they're supposed to do, it might give them an easier right away. Yeah, as, as, a, as a, a driver of a private vehicle, you're always required to pull to the right when an emergency vehicle approaches with yeah. lights and siren. Right. And right. that would apply at a crossing also. Right, right, yeah. I thought that I had read something about putting something in the median to keep people from going around the arms, or not the median, but, but on the track. Is, 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 that, is that happening? Well, on the, uh, at, at, at the crossings... We do have gates that typically will come down on the traffic side of the crossing. So there's usually one gate on one side of the track, one gate on the other to stop the traffic in that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, What you've seen throughout Sonoma County is SMART has been uh, installing medians uh, that extend from the track into the roadway um, approximately 40, 50 feet. Mm -hmm. And those are designed to discourage drivers from driving around the gates Going in the opposite lane of traffic and getting through the uh, the, the rail crossing, um, very very dangerous thing to do. Sure, and sure. Uh, but you know, unfortunately, the need is there to put medians up to try and prevent that because it does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People are in a hurry. They think they see the train. 
uh, the train has a, a tendency to look like it's going slower than it really is. Right. A train doing 79 miles an hour may appear to be doing 30 miles an hour to a, a motorist because right. they're so large. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, they try and, and cut corners, go around the gates that are already down in the opposite lane of traffic, sneak through the crossing before the train gets there, and many times are struck by the train. Right, right. Yeah. I appreciate that clarification because when I was reading it, I didn't actually get that it was prior to the actual crossing. I thought there was something that was going to go across it. I mean, you know, literally go across it, and then how was the train going to go across So I appreciate that clarification. We probably should have started off with this, but what is it going to cost? And is there uh, discounts for seniors and uh, disabled and et cetera? And, yeah, us. <laughs> it's a great question. Um, the the operations uh, department is currently working on a fair uh, schedule. Uh, we we will be uh, charging uh, uh, on a distance based or a zone based uh, system. So it will cost less to go from Santa Rosa to Catati than it will from Santa than it will from Santa Rosa to San Rafael. Um, we don't have the fair structure determined yet, and that will have to go before the board of directors. But uh, I do know that the goal is to um, make it somewhat similar to Golden, Gus, Golden Gate bus fares. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, Golden Gate charges about $6.20 one way, uh, Santa Rosa to San Rafael. So it would be kind of in that range. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any discounts for seniors or with disabled? Uh, boy, again, that's a policy, uh, board policy decision, but I can't imagine us not offering there, there student or senior discounts. What I will say is that this is actually exciting. Uh, we've recent, the board recently made a decision to um, use the Clipper card as our fare collection system. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clipper is a reloadable card that works on all transit systems in the Bay Area. Um, the North Bay was recently brought into Clipper, and so Sonoma County Transit, Santa Rosa City Bus, the Smart Train. Uh, will all be you'll be able to take a reloadable card and get on all of those transit services. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. So um, I remember John when you and I first started talking. This was a while ago before you, or when you were coming up on Smart anyway, um, about the things that you were doing to interface with um, fire departments and the and the police and, and things like that. One of the things that I'm curious about is, is what sort of um, challenges that there have been in Sonoma County on maybe particular intersections or jurisdictions or anything like that that you've run into in Sonoma County that would be worth mentioning? Well, I have to kind of think about that. I've, you know, we've had a lot of discussions with our local emergency first responders, and they have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. You know, our law enforcement agencies are asking questions like, what kind of crime do you expect on these trains? How do we interact with that crime? Are you going to have your own security force? Are you going to have your own law enforcement? Are we going to be the people that respond to your trains mm-hmm. Good when questions. something happens? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of those yeah. questions. On the yeah. fire and EMS side, um, you know, if, if an emergency happens on the train, how how do we find you? Um, you know, are you going to stop at a, a station so we can access a patient that's having a medical emergency, or are you going to stop at a crossing? Or you know, do we have to? You know, how are we going to interface since the emergency is moving at seventy nine miles an hour? How do we find you, and what's the most expeditious way to to make that that happen? So you know, there's a lot of those kind of questions, and uh, um, do we have all the answers yet? No. 
But but what we're doing is we, we've been sitting down at a table with those first responders and throwing those things on, on the table and asking, well, how do we, we solve these issues? And slowly but surely, we are solving each of those those areas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and so there really hasn't been a lot of bottlenecks. We do have some challenges on the system. Mm-hmm. We have uh, – I think people are going to be surprised at how beautiful it is to ride on the train because we go through some areas that um, aren't accessible by car. Mm-hmm. Which is great if you want to travel through a wetlands uh, along the Petaluma River and see uh, scenery that you just can't see on Highway 101. Yeah, Beautiful right. scenery. Mm-hmm. Well, that brings challenges. And what it does bring is if an emergency does happen in one of those remote areas, how do first responders make access? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we get them to uh, the location to help people if there is a, 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 an accident or injury or, or something happens to the rail vehicle? Mm-hmm. And so that has been a challenge, and we're working through those things right now. Mm-hmm. Do I have answers for you right here on the radio? No. no. But, but those things are being discussed, and, and uh, you know, I've been very, very encouraged. We're both law, fire, and EMS have, like, really embraced the system. And they said, this is going to be a great thing for everybody. What can we do to make this work? Mm-hmm. And so they've really stepped up, smart stepped up, and uh, we're really working together, you know, mm-hmm. in a collaboration to, to come up with those answers. Right, right. And so we've been very, very happy with the, the results of that. Oh, that's great. I mean, I, I, I'm excited by that because, one, it's you, and I know that you've been in Sonoma County for a long time dealing with most of these jurisdictions and most of these people. And in the same way with Matt, I mean, I know that Matt has a concern for what's happening here, like going through the corridor that you're mentioning in Petaluma. Yeah, that's, that's important for a lot of reasons. You know, and I know that, you're, that, it, that, that the considerations for environment and everything else are being taken into consideration. You know, it might be a- yeah, I was going to ask. I know that both of you are very conscious individuals and very committed to our environment. What has SMART done to protect the environment? I know you said you're going through wetlands and things like that. Um, yes, SMART, SMART does actually go through significant wetlands. And um, and the construction work, work that we've been doing, uh, protecting the environment has actually uh, – been a very central part of the planning and execution of the rebuilding of the railroad tracks. Um, one of the things that, uh, of course, there's the standard types of, of precautions that our contractors take, which is you know setting up silt fences and um, working under uh, with or working within um, construction windows that protect uh, the the. Um, Nesting seasons of birds, for example, we have we do have a number of, of endangered species that live uh, along the tracks. They're neighbors of ours, um, and so, for example, we are uh, we have a, a window that's closing right now. Actually, January thirtieth, I think, or thirty first, was uh, the window for the clapper rail because their nesting season begins. So we had to finish up construction work in a number of areas just this month. Uh, and we can't begin work again until September, which is when the nesting season closes. The, thank, the, the, thank you very much. <laughs> the, 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 so we're very – well, you know, we, we care a lot about the environment, and we are supported in our caring by a number of local, state, and national environmental agencies. So, for example, Army Corps of Engineers, NOAA, uh, um, National and State Departments of Fish and Wildlife. You know, they're very – they pay very careful attention to what we do. And they work with us, actually, to identify the species that we have to protect and what we have to do to protect those species. 
One of the things I do want to mention, since we're on the topic of environment, that I think is one of the big success stories for SMART is that um, when we're rebuilding the track between uh, Petaluma and Nevada, we go through a lot of wetlands, and we are going to damage about 10 inches of wetlands on each side of the railroad track. Now, it doesn't seem like a lot, but if you add all that up, it's about two and a half acres. Mm -hmm. And so we're required to uh, have a mitigation for that. And um, and one of the challenges that we faced over the last couple of years is finding mitigation land that's, that, that's local. Uh, one of the requirements is that we mitigate uh, damage to wetlands as locally as possible. Mm-hmm. And most of the uh, mitigation land in the Bay Area, they call them mitigation banks, and you typically you would find the mitigation bank and purchase some land from that bank, mm. uh, usually at a very inflated price. It's usually a million to two million dollars an acre. Wow. Um, the, the challenge that we found was that there wasn't any mitigation bank land available locally. Mm-hmm. And uh, around that time that we were sort of looking at that challenge and going, wow, what are we going to do? A piece of property came up for sale on the Sonoma and Marin County border called the Miramonte Marina. And it's an mm-hmm. old marina that today, well, actually today it looks very different than it did last year. But last year it had a bunch of dilapidated vehicles and storage units and houses and, and just it was very run down. Um, came up for sale and uh, the smart district purchased that land. We, d- we learned about it and said, wow. We can purchase that and restore it. Mm-hmm. And it's 54 acres. And uh, so we purchased that land. It's something that the Marin Audubon Society had been wanting to purchase for decades. And they could never match up the funding with the availability. And and then it, and then it became available for uh, sale just this last year. So we purchased it for $2.5 million. Mm. Uh, 54, acres. 54 acres. And it's going to take care of all of our mitigation needs for the project, not just for the current project, but for the entire project, Cloverdale to Larkspur. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's typically an acre for acre sort of exchange that you have to do. It's typically addition. two to one, actually. Two to one? Yeah. So if you've so got two well and a half there. acres, you need to buy five acres. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So being the visual person that I am, um, so I get on the, the train and what, when, where I get off... Will there be buses available? What what's what? How is this being coordinated? We that's a that's a great question, and and we call that the last mile problem. Okay. Uh, usually, when you take the train and you arrive at your destination station, you've got another mile to go. I mean, that's not. I mean, that's I guess a metaphor really than anything. Yes. Yeah. Um, and there is no one size fits all solution to the last mile problem. Um, my favorite solution, of course, is the bicycle, and that's why we're, we've specified the trains to include significant amounts of bicycle storage. So you can Wonderful. ride your bicycle to the train, roll your bike onto the train, and then, and then take the train to your destination station, and then you can ride your bicycle. So what the train does is it, it extends significantly a person's ability to commute by bicycle, which is probably the greenest form of transportation on earth. Right. Now, for those of us who won't be riding bicycles, uh, there are other solutions as well. Uh, we're working uh, closely with uh, the other local transit operators, uh, Sonoma County Transit, uh, Santa Rosa City Bus, Marin Transit, Petaluma Transit, to just name a few, um, to actually coordinate our schedules and our service pulses so that when trains arrive, mm-hmm. there's a bus waiting. Service pulses. 
Yeah. Another solution is is walking. Uh, another significant solution is that uh, the larger employers in the North Bay are uh, having conversations with other large employers if they're regionally co-located to uh, offer uh, employer-driven transit service or shuttle service, much like Silicon Valley does. An example of that is um, Fireman's Fund, uh, the Buck, uh, or actually, um, yeah, the Buck, the Buck, Buck Foundation, Institute. Buck Institute, yeah. and Birkenstocks, which is in North Nevada, they're talking together about – they've actually got a committee that, that's looking at establishing a shuttle service. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is happening in Santa Rosa for those businesses that are kind of, you know, um, used to be Agilent. And I forget what they're called now. Um, but, you know, there's Kaiser. Kaiser is definitely doing this. Uh, they're they're going to be offering shuttle service for their employees both in Marin and Sonoma County. And so uh, a lot of the employees will be able to do that. Um, taxi service. Uh, so so there's a variety of ways that problem will be solved. Um, It'll probably take a while also to just build up whatever will actually happen for Sonoma County right. in particular. You know, what, what's going to come to the fore to be able mm-hmm. to answer some of these questions. Right. And, and, and just, to, you know, to be honest, uh, it won't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Not everybody will be able to take the train. Right. Um, but it will work for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, one of the things that, that we're a little nervous about, it's not whether we're going to have enough people. It's will we have enough capacity. Right, right. Yeah, even when you mentioned, like, was it 160 people per car? Well, it's actually it's actually 160 seated and 160 standing. Okay, so 320 right. per car. That doesn't seem like a whole. I mean, I see more people than that in the mornings. <laughs> right, right. Red, so you yeah. know how how who knows what that's going to be like. We also have uh, the ability to purchase a third unpowered car. Uh, to actually put in between the two powered cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of the cars does have that small diesel engine that, that uh, John was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, we can put a third unpowered car in between those, those cars, and that will increase our capacity again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then that comes up close to 1,000. Yeah. yeah. You know, on a car. Oh, that's interesting. So I have a bike club. 20 of us are going down to San Rafael. Is that going to work? You may have to take two trains. Okay, um, but it could work. See, the, the twenty-four bikes per t- two-car train set depends on how many uh, wheelchair users there are, because wheelchair users and bicyclists will be sharing the same space. Great segue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great segue. <laughs> I want to ask one more thing: oh. How frequently will the train be going down? Every thirty minutes. That's so, good. In, in so yeah. in both directions. So every thirty minutes, there'll be a train. Wonderful. What exactly? being the visual person that I am uh, and feeling person, what is it going to be like for me to be on the train? What's the experience going to be? Um, it, actually, it's going to be unlike, uh, first of all, it's going to be unlike commuting. Right now, uh, the only way uh, commuters can get to work is to drive. And the um, smart train will provide a very different experience than commuting by car. Also, will uh provide a very different experience in commuting by bus, which is the only alternative we have right now. Um, the uh, buses actually have to get on and off the highways. Trains don't. Uh, buses are subject to congestion just like cars are. Trains aren't. Um, also, it's, it's more difficult to read on a bus because of the way the bus moves while it's driving down the road. 
Um, train, uh, the smart train will be a very smooth ride. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, we're using continuously welded rail, which will make it a smooth ride. And uh, the smart train is also unlike BART. Um, we BART, you know, not to diss BART, but but you know, BART basically is uh, basically a short haul commute uh, 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 type of vehicle. Um, we're going to be having a variety of types of seats, ranging from from seats that face one direction to seats that face a, a shared table, so people will be able to actually do work while they're on the train. Um, uh, we've actually specified uh, a number of amenities for this train that will also enhance a ride. Uh, for example, the trains will have an onboard bathroom. Um, one train car will have an ADA-compliant bathroom, actually, because we do have to comply with all uh, Americans with Disability Act so uh, rules. One of the two. And then the other car where the bathroom would be, we're going to have a food and beverage service bar. Mm. And so you'll be able to uh, purchase uh, food and beverages. And what type of beverages, you might ask? Yes. Um, <laughs> well, that is a board decision. However, uh, there has been a lot of talk over the years about there being a wine bar on the train. Mm-hmm. And uh, much like you do have on the on the Golden Gate Ferry service, uh, you can actually buy beer and wine on those ferries. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're looking at that. But that will ultimately be a board decision. You know, one other thing I think that's important is the way our trains operate. Um, being a commute railroad, which we are, it's different than a, a, a local urban metro system like BART, where sometimes when you're on those type of systems, you feel kind of alone in the vehicle. You don't, you feel like you're kind of on your own for your own safety and security. In, in our system, we're going to have two persons, uh, smart employees, operating that train set. So someone will be driving it. An engineer will be driving the train in an enclosed cab for security reasons. And then we'll have another employee in the actual passenger train car itself. So there'll always be that second person. And then I guess you could say the, the third person would be the food and beverage server. But, but again, that's not a train operational person. So there'll actually be that person in the, uh, the passenger compartment to inter, to intermingle amongst the passengers mm-hmm. and deal with anything that may come up. Mm-hmm. Where in some, some rail systems or commute systems, you feel kind of like you're on your own back there. Mm-hmm. All you have is your cell phone and 911, right. where we actually have someone that's in charge of the train that can deal with emergencies or situations that arise. Mm-hmm. So, so is that their primary pur- purpose is to be able to interface in, in emergencies or really to do that concierge social thing? Well, their, their primary purpose is, is safety of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the person driving the train is responsible for moving the piece of equipment, but the person in the back is responsible for the overall safety of the train. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's their primary uh, purpose. Mm-hmm. But why they're there, there's a lot of other functions. Sure, sure. You know, answer questions, uh, deal with the public, interface with the public, and provide that safety and security. If an emergency does happen, kind of like mm-hmm. a flight attendant on an airline, mm-hmm. there's someone in that passenger space that has the special knowledge and training to deal with that emergency. Mm-hmm. And do they have authority, say, if I'm, say, getting obnoxious or bordering on belligerent, do they have authority to be able to supposedly quiet me down? Well, they're not going to be law enforcement, Mm -hmm. but what they do have the ability to do is summon law enforcement at a very, very, you know, opportune time. Mm -hmm. They have the authority to stop the train set Mm -hmm. and allow um, law enforcement to deal with an issue anywhere up and down along the line. Mm -hmm. So, So, I mean, on a plane, 
they don't really have that kind of authority either. I don't think the stewardess really no. care. But the, but when you land, your butt's in trouble. Yeah. That's right. That, I think that's that's yeah. the, that's the we can we can land much quicker than an airplane can. <laughs> we can stop at a crossing in a city and yeah. have a police car waiting for us yeah. and then remove a person from the train. Yeah, that's actually great to know that there would be somebody on there because of the, the limited time that I've ridden BART, that really was the feeling. It's like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm pretty much the loner here going through this system. Whereas when I've ridden trains before, it does actually feel very, very different without knowing that there was probably somebody guarding me one of the issues of uh, of course is how are you um dealing with ada and and compliance uh how accessible will the train be well uh the smart train will be fully ada compliant and for those who don't know what ada is it's americans with disabilities act um we are required to comply with all federal rules and regulations um now We've chosen uh, a technology that will make it easy for us to comply. We're going to be using uh, um, platforms that are four and a half feet uh, above grade, and uh, they match up evenly and perfectly with the train vehicles that we're using. So when the train uh, arrives at a platform, it'll be right next to the platform, and the doors open, and you can roll on and off, whether it's a bicycle or a wheelchair or a stroller. Um, unlike other train systems where you have to use a lift uh, to get a wheelchair on and people have to walk upstairs. Um, when I was in uh, uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico a couple of years ago, there's a new uh, startup commuter rail down there called Sunrunner. And uh, I took these great photographs of kids leaping off the four and a half feet distance from train to ground and little old ladies rappelling down the the, the uh, stairs, and so we're not going to be providing that kind of service. No <laughs> no ropes required. Um, it'll be level boarding. Uh, and of course, I mentioned the ADA compliant bathroom. That means a, a wheelchair user can roll into the bathroom and use the bathroom. Uh, the platforms will be ADA compliant. Uh, there'll be a ramp uh, that the wheelchair user can easily get up um, uh, onto the onto the platform. And so everything that we do will be ADA compliant. And you mentioned the, the there's a shared space between the bikes and the wheelchair. That is the solution that we've uh, determined is best uh, to uh, allow bicycle riders to utilize the train. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we will be sharing space with – the, basically the shared space is uh, close to the doors. Mm-hmm. Um, that way a wheelchair user doesn't have to roll down very far to mm-hmm. find a place to park their wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, the bicycle users won't have to roll their bicycles past rows of people. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll park their bikes uh, right there where the wheelchair users would as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's actually great. I mean, I know that it, it takes quite a bit of space, actually, for, mm-hmm. for a wheelchair. So, like, how many wheelchairs, if, you, if they were to use all of the space, do you happen to know, like, how many wheelchairs? Yeah, I don't, actually don't know that. Do you know that, John? No, I don't. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yep. Okay. But I can find out. If anybody wants to know, uh, you can contact Matt at M. Stevens, that's M S T E V E N S, at snowmanmarintrain.org, and I'd be happy to find out. Great. Okay, that's one question. <laughs> one of the issues that, that's come up um, <clears throat> we have some individuals that are homeless and, and have actually been using the, the right of way. I believe, and what what are you doing to support that? That is a, a non-trivial issue uh, for Smart. Um, you know, the Smart Corridor uh, 
hasn't been utilized up until just, you know, really two, two or three years ago when we began construction uh, in 2012. And what that meant, means is that the smart corridor was kind of a safe, hidden place that people could go live uh, or occupy um, without being um, uh, harassed. I'm using the term loosely here, harassed, but, you know, uh, being contacted by local law enforcement. Um, and, and so I've mentioned that we've had two generations of people who haven't lived around trains and don't know about train safety. Well, that, that goes for the homeless uh, community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, just this year I started uh, meeting with the, um, the homeless service uh, coordinators for Sonoma County. They're part of the uh, – well, I'm blanking on it now – the Sonoma County Commission – on human services and, and services. yes, and so the, there there's a group of people that we've been meeting with uh, that are working with uh, local uh, uh, nonprofits who deliver uh, services to the homeless population, and um, and they're actually uh, just just last week actually they made a decision that their outreach team members are going to be taking Operation Lifesaver training. Mm. Uh, become uh, authorized Operation Lifesaver volunteers. And so what's Operation Lifesaver? Mm. Uh, That's a national organization that is dedicated to uh, rail safety education and training. Um, It's it's a nonprofit that was funded originally by uh, the freight industry and uh, has grown to be a large and successful organization. And uh, there's five people at SMART that are actually authorized uh, Operation Lifesaver trainers. Mm. Um, Is that into schools? Is that one one place they go? Uh, well, you know, I'll tell you what. Let me finish the homeless population okay. piece because that's there is a, there's an end point to that story. Um, but then I will talk about Operation Lifesaver and, and tell people how to contact Operation Lifesaver if they would like to. But um, we are going to be delivering uh, rail safety messaging to the homeless population and uh, uh, starting now, actually. The homeless population is also, of course – have been watching construction and uh, there have been a number of instances where they've been asked to move their camps off of smart property because it's actually in the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and they've done that for the most part in Sonoma County, although not very far off. <laughs> right, right. Um, but we are working with the, with the local service providers to address that issue. And we'll continue to, even after we begin passenger rail service because uh, of the proximity that the people who, our homeless are living next to the tracks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, you had mentioned that they, like even currently where fencing has gone up, they have a tendency to just try to come through the fencing anyway? You know, the fencing that we put up, uh, pretty quickly there's holes that are made. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we are in the process of doing a, a, a fencing evaluation to see where we want to put fencing up. Um, there's fencing up in downtown Santa Rosa right now. Uh, there's fencing going up in Marin County as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there will be portions of the corridor that are fenced um, for safety purposes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit like, you know, if there's a hole, we have to fix it and we'll fix it. Right. You know? right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you, you hear about people being on tracks. And, I mean, it, I, I, mean I, I have walked on railroad tracks before, but, I mean, not where I actually saw a train or anything like that. So it, it just really is sort of mind-boggling. And yet at the same time, people have different life situations that they're going through. So I, mean, I sort of understand that when somebody might be in a place where that's, they need to be living in that particular way. But mm-hmm. the train, I mean, as you've really been great to point out, it's really unforgiving. 
Well, one, you know, one thing we need to really educate people on is that it, it is railroad property, and legally it is trespassing. Uh, the, the corridor, when it is completed, will be heavily signed, stating no trespassing, and that will be enforced. You know, we will work with, we are working with local law enforcement to be able to write citations for people that trespass on the railroad property. Mm -hmm. We hate to be the, you know, the hard-nosed cops, I guess you could say, to keep people off that corridor, but it is dangerous. Mm -hmm. You have to liken it to allowing your children to cross Highway 101 um, you know, on a freeway or, you know, there, there's a reason freeways are fenced mm -hmm. and people don't use those as pedestrian access. Mm -hmm. it, it's very, very similar to that um, on the railroad. So it, you have to have that mindset that it's a very dangerous place to live mm -hmm. and a very dangerous place to walk. And, uh, and it takes a lot of education. And the homeless problem is not one that is going to go away. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger uh, issue for society in general than just the railroad. Um, but we're finding ourselves face to face with it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, and some, some people in that community understand it and some don't, some need to have enforcement action to get them to move others. We can talk to and, and, you know, rationalize why it's, it's good for them to move on. Mm -hmm. And, and unfortunately there isn't a place maybe for everybody. Um, but, you know, as society tries to grapple with that, it'll get better. But, um, you know, we just want to make sure, you know, it's, you know, we're not trying to, to um, penalize those people that are homeless, but we want to keep them safe. They're, they're another part of our customer base, another part of our community, and we want to make sure they're going to be safe. Uh, um, in other rail systems, the homeless population have a high casualty rate along railroads. Um, homeless people are struck by trains on a daily basis in this country, and we want to minimize that as much as possible here. Um, did I hear you is it, would it be the police that would come and write tickets, or were you saying that the, the smart people would have the ability to write citations? I, mean, I think it will be both. Um, we're still in the process of building our security system. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's always that choice. Do we have our own railroad police? Do we have community service officers that have the ability to write a citation? Um, and or do we use local police? I think it's going to be some combination of those mm -hmm. things. Um, that hasn't been totally decided yet. But um, something, you know, a, a, a trespassing citation is, is an infraction. It's similar to like a parking ticket. And uh, um, with some, some minor training, I think some of our staff and some of our security people will be able to write those citations. Um, and then if you can continue to violate it, then it, it raises to a different level um, through the court system. But we've had conversations with the courts. We've had conversations with district attorneys, and they all seem very supportive of the need to, to keep the railroad safe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I appreciate that you have to be cautious in what you're saying. And I also know that, that SMART is required to have an, an emergency preparedness plan of some kind. And I know that that's sort of like in the works. Mm -hmm. you know I mean, can you speak a little bit to that, John, especially sure. because, you know, I mean, that's your forte? Yeah. Again, we're, we're federally regulated. The, the Federal Railroad Administration is our agency that oversees uh, the construction and operation of, of our commute rail system, mainly because we share the corridor with freight traffic, freight trains. And since we share that with freight trains, 
trains, we're kind of in a unique situation compared to other commute rail operations. Mm -hmm. You know, like the BART system doesn't share its rails with anybody, mm -hmm. doesn't have grade crossings, doesn't have freight trains to deal with, has a totally fenced corridor. Um, so we're a little different. So we fall under the Federal Railroad Administration for that safety. Um, they specify how we build this railroad and, and how we operate it and how safe it is during emergencies. Mm -hmm. And um, interfacing with local government, police, fire, and EMS, um, we're required to write a passenger emergency preparedness plan, which is pretty much completed. Uh, FRA has reviewed it. They've made a few changes to it. It's a very simple, basic document. Um, and, you know, I think you know, railroads have been around for a long time, so these documents are pretty easy to put together and, and uh, come up with solutions that work for everyone. Mm -hmm. What we've decided to do is to take it a step further. You know, the document is pretty basic, and we've looked at, well, that's great, but let's really get down to the nuts and bolts of it. Mm -hmm. Let's work with our emergency responders and find solutions to our unique problems, mm -hmm. whether it be law enforcement or uh, fire and emergency response. Mm -hmm. And so we've kind of done that. We've, we're in the process. Uh, just Monday we met with um, our, our fire and EMS partners. On Tuesday we met with law enforcement in Sonoma County. Mm -hmm. So we're having those conversations as we speak, and we're building a much broader plan um, of how we're going to deal with specific type of emergencies on our rail system. Mm -hmm. I think that's so great. I want to just make it the point again. I've been having you guys as locals, you know, and what I know of John in particular, I mean, being able to pay attention to those, you know, the details and not just having a boilerplate document, but actually digging into those details and working out those agreements. And I think it's consistent with the way that you were talking also about how you work with organizations. I mean, that the smart is willing to do that. I know that's not inexpensive to do. It's no, it's, it's not inexpensive, but it's valuable. Right. And it's the right way to do it. I mean, yeah. it really, yes. it's, it's, we've learned that, that, that it's the, in the long run, it's the most efficient and effective way to get the results you're looking for. Right, right. Mm -hmm. But that's the long-term. There's a lot of yeah. businesses that don't take that long-term view. So, I mean, again, I, mean, I really appreciate that that's what's happening. I know that the, the smart train would be quite valuable during a, a heavy rain. Um, so that we could hop on the train and go someplace where we might be flooded out. Do you want to talk anything about that in the rain? Well, yeah, just like any any transportation system, we want the smart train to be able to function at all times. No, is that going to happen? Probably not. You know, there there are disasters like major earthquakes and other things that that may cause us to to have a a break in our continuity of of delivery of service. Um, but we're building a pretty hardened system, and uh, um, you know, we know there's areas along the railroad that flood. And so as we reconstruct this new railroad, we're raising bridges, we're raising the track, uh, you know, uh, elevations to get them above those typical flood zones uh, so we don't have that flooding. Um, the nice part is, is our rail system is... is 100% rail, so we don't share the corridor with anybody else. So if there's a vehicle accident on Highway 101, it doesn't affect rail operations. Mm -hmm. If there's flooding at San Antonio Creek at the county line, which floods every major storm, mm -hmm. that doesn't affect rail service. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're going to be available a lot of times when other infrastructures, other transportation systems fail mm -hmm. because of, of 
whether it's a natural disaster or a, a flooding event or you know any other or you know man-made accident like a, a vehicle collision um, you know that's not going to affect our system mm-hmm. I'd like to also just mention that we uh, recently uh, had a, a, a pretty significant rain event in December and uh, that actually provided us an opportunity as we prepared for that to really check the hardening of our system and see where there were any weak points uh, from that rain. So you ended up having a bit of an exercise in association to mm-hmm. Yes, we did. Um, while we didn't call it an exercise, we actually went ahead and implemented an emergency services. Uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, a yeah. dr- drill. A drill. Yeah, we actually opened our emergency operations center for the first time in our, our district's history. Mm-hmm. So we actually staffed our center um, with uh, leadership. Uh, we deployed field crews out to do reconnaissance. Uh, we had four field crews out checking the rail line, mm-hmm. checking to make sure um, uh, debris hadn't collected in storm drains under bridges, um, making sure that crossings weren't flooded, you know, equipment was still operational, and, and to check on things because, you know, we engineered the system them to work well it's great to go out in one of those really large storm events and double check it did our engineering work Mm -hmm. and we actually found places where it didn't work Mm -hmm. and so now we have the opportunity to go out there and make changes we are very fortunate that we weren't running passenger operations yet Mm -hmm. you know we have this time period where we can test the systems Mm -hmm. and that storm in december was very valuable to us to go out there and grab that data take some photographs so we can you know show our engineers and then they can redesign those areas that may have troubles Mm -hmm. and uh, so we were very very fortunate that uh, we were able to take advantage of that storm Uh, it came along at the absolute perfect time for us and we did take advantage of it we really we operated like it was an emergency Uh, we had people up at 3 a.m in the morning um, out there doing different things and we had a command system in place we had communications with our field crews and it was a good exercise for us Mm -hmm. and the really great thing was is afterwards we all sat down and said, well, what didn't work? Mm-hmm. And, and put a plan in place to correct those things so, so we're better next time. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is just like, it's, it's really so basic, right? I mean, it's really so basic what needs to be done with a system like mm-hmm. that. And it brings to mind then that large businesses, large companies in Sonoma County, I mean, that's a great example, really, of what needs to be done in order to be able to test systems and to know that it's not going to be perfect. And that's actually what you're looking for. You're looking for those holes and then being able to come up with a way to be able to, you know, plan around those on a going forward sort of basis. I mean, the communities need to do that more in Sonoma County. I mean, Marin County, I know, has a a little bit more activity in that area for for a lot of reasons, but they have a lot more activity in that area that cities are doing more drilling within their communities, within their, their public services, and then also with their community members. And I think more of that needs to be done in Sonoma County in general. Yeah, and, you know, with your uh, involvement in CERT, community emergency response team that goes all the way down to the individual household you know people if they just kind of put a little thought into um you know what am i going to do in this type of emergency all of a sudden those holes start popping into their head and then they all they need to do is take action to try and fill those those needs um geez, I'm, you know, I'm on a well and the power goes out, I'm not going to have water. But once you make that connection in your head, then you can find the solution to how am I going to have water for a week or seven, you know, seven days, ten days after an emergency. Um, then you can kind of, once you understand what the problem is, you can, you can take it on and solve the problem pretty easily. There's a lot of businesses, though, I mean, I think individuals use 
city government and businesses and, and then the federal government as examples. And I think, again, this is sort of a great example. I mean, you could be very cavalier about a rainstorm and, you know, okay, fine, we got all these other things we need to deal with, but instead you're, you're setting yourself up to be able to challenge yourself, challenge the system so that you know whether it operates. I mean, undoubtedly you have regulation, but again, I think it goes back to what you said. It's sort of the right thing to do. And you have people in place that know that it's the right thing to do. Well, and you know, we want to build a rail system that isn't just going to survive a disaster. It's going to be there to help recover from the disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we want to interface with Marin and Sonoma County emergency managers and say, you know, we have a resource for you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need to move people from one uh, area that's affected by a disaster to an area that's not affected, you know, you may not be able to do that by bus right. because an overpass is down in a very strategic location. You may be able to move people by rail, and we want to be part of that system. So it doesn't just happen, you know, at the last minute. It happens ahead of time. We can plan for it, and we have those relationships already. Mm-hmm. And it goes the other way around, too. If, if something does happen where we have a situation where we're not able to move that rail vehicle on the line, we already have those relationships with the counties and the other transit bus systems to move our passengers around the affected area and get them to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. It works both ways. Right, right. But it's a system that you need to work on and put into place. And, and, it, and there has to be collaboration in order for those things to be um, a, a lot of people, like a lot of... Uh, Hospitals are built right on earthquake faults, uh, especially in Sonoma County. So what uh, steps have you uh, taken to mitigate large earthquakes? You know, know, again, like I said, we were regulated by the federal government, but we also know that we live in California and we live in a disaster-prone area, especially earthquakes. And so all of our structures are being built to the latest, greatest, um, local building codes that that address earthquake safety. So in the, in the last 50 years, the earthquake regulations built into the California building and fire codes has uh, drastically increased the safety level. And so we are building all of our structures at the state-of-the-art level because we want them to be here also. You know, we're building uh, up on Airport Boulevard, we're building a large maintenance facility to, to maintain our, our rail vehicles. At that site, we're also going to have our uh, emergency communicate or our, our basic communication center to be able to dispatch and talk to trains uh, up and down the corridor. Well, we want that to be around. So we're building that at a very, very high level um, of, of uh, engineering. So if something was to happen, um, you know, we have that availability. We're, we'll have fueling capabilities at our site to have backup fuel. So we're not relying on just a day's worth of fuel in our vehicles to get them up and down the line. We'll have the ability to fuel them with an emergency generator and our own on-site fuel system mm-hmm. um, so they can run for days, not just hours. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're working to, to build that into everything we do on the engineering side before we build the system. And I just want to add that uh, we're also doing the same kind of redundancy uh, with the Haystack Bridge in Petaluma, it's actually a, a bridge. It's the one bridge we have in our system that actually – we actually have two bridges in our system that actually raise and lower to allow um, three 
John, I have to ask you what the third one is. I only know of two. Brazos? Oh, there's the Brazos Bridge. Yeah, we have the Brazos right. Bridge, which is over the Napa River. Mm-hmm. We actually have a rail line that goes from Nevada over to Napa Junction, mm-hmm. uh, which connects to Sassoon, which connects to the National Railroad System. Mm-hmm. So Smart actually owns the line from Highway 37 in, in uh, uh, Nevada all the way over through Shellville, all the way over just south of the Napa Airport to the Napa Junction. Wow. And so we have a lift bridge in Brazos. Mm-hmm. We have a swing bridge over the Petaluma River at Black Point, Highway 37. And then uh, we have a swing bridge today over the, that we call it the Haystack Bridge, um, over the Petaluma River, right by the 101 freeway. What's a swing bridge? Swing bridge is a, a movable bridge because the the boat traffic still needs to have access uh, with with overhead clearance. So the bridge actually pivots on a center point and it swings out of the way to allow boat traffic to traverse um, up and down the waterway. Mm-hmm. So there's a swing bridge on the Petaluma River at Highway 37 and one at Highway 101. So the the Brazos Bridge along 37 actually is a is a lift bridge. It actually raises up. Um, and then the Haystack Bridge historically has been a, a swing bridge, but we're actually replacing that bridge with a, a cantilever lift bridge. So it lifts at one end. That's right. That's the same kind of bridge. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I also want to add one other thing about sort of the uh, emergency preparedness with regards to earthquakes is that our general manager, Farhad Masurian, uh, has a lot of experience in emergency services. And uh, in Marin County, he ran public works for a long time. And so he has really brought in uh, uh, a kind of a, a safety and security and emergency preparedness consciousness into SMART and has really done a, a very good job of creating a culture of preparedness. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that culture goes a long way towards uh, being able to anticipate uh, things like earthquakes. I mean, we can't predict when they're going to happen, but we know what we're going to do when they happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what matters. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, oftentimes when I leave the radio station, I drive home and I go, oh, I wish I would have mentioned that. So if you could think about <laughs> things that you wish you would have mentioned on this radio show, that would be great. And if we could get in, uh, talk a little bit about your future outreach activities, where, how can the public get a hold of you? Uh, if you could let us know your uh, your email addresses and and, yeah, and your websites and all that kind of stuff. And, and how the public can, can support your your work your out- outreach activities. That's a lot. So is, is now the time for me to do that, or should I be thinking about it right now? <laughs> well, you can get out and get in your car and drive, <laughs> and then come back. <laughs> yeah, you can come back anytime, actually. but that would be good. I know that the, the future information, is, I think, is really critical. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things I really wanted uh, an opportunity to mention while I was uh, visiting you here at uh, KOWS Yes. Um, is uh, I'd like to I, I want to make sure I leave your listeners with a couple of very important safety tips. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, there's a, a uh, there's a number of things I always mention to people when I talk about rail safety. Um, one is that you should always expect a train. Any time is train time on the tracks. So if you're near the tracks, uh, I'm not saying you're on the tracks, but near the tracks, you should uh, you know. Uh, always be thinking about that. There's a new slogan that Operation Lifesaver is using as kind of their their campaign for this year. It's called Sea Tracks Think Train." Hmm. Um, so the 
So I want to just say that the only safe and legal place to cross the tracks is at a designated uh, railroad crossing. And the way that you know uh, or can identify a, a designated railroad crossing is something, uh, there's a sign called a crossbuck. And a crossbuck is uh, basically um, a sign, that's a, it's, a, it's a large sign that's got two bars across each other. That signifies the crossing. Mm-hmm. And it says railroad crossing on it. Mm-hmm. Um, just, a, just a little historical uh, tidbit about crossbucks is that they've been in existence for a really long time. They 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 were created back in the 1800s, and the very first crossbucks actually were skulls and crossbones. <laughs> People oh, would try to race the trains in the 1800s just like they do today with their horses and wagons, and they would get hit just like cars do today. Mm-hmm. And so right. that's that's how the crossbuck was invented. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I want to mention is that really, uh, as John mentioned earlier, you know, it is railroad property. It is illegal to be on that property, as, as besides being very unsafe. Um, and so you really need to rethink how you travel now. If, you, if you've been using that uh, railroad corridor for a shortcut to school or a path to get to work or to go shopping, you really should rethink that. Um, right. Because it's not only illegal, but it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and getting it less safe as we go along. In terms of contact information, um, yes. I want to encourage people to visit our website, and that's www.sonomamarintrain.org. So Train is just one word. Um, we have a lot of useful information on that website. Uh, for those of you who live near construction, we have a construction update page that we update almost on a daily basis with what's going on in terms of construction. Uh, you can download our, our brochures uh, from that web page. Um, I probably should also mention that Smart's hiring. Uh, we need to hire approximately 70 people in the next within the next six months to a year. And um, you can look at uh, the, the, the job opportunities that are at Smart on the Smart website. Um, you'll have to kind of dig a little bit. There's a I'm actually having our web guy actually put a button at the front on the landing page, but he hasn't quite done it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that will be up soon uh, to see what kind of positions we're hiring. Uh, most of them are skilled positions. You need to have some experience uh, in railroads, uh, perhaps not all of them. Mm-hmm. I'm not the HR director, so I can't really speak to exactly <laughs> right. what kind of job they are, but we are right. hiring. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's actually it's a great web page. I mean, it's a great website. I mean, there's a lot of really – you can dig you can dig a lot mm-hmm. there. I mean, including getting minutes of meetings and the other th- things like that if you're very interested at, at that sort of level. It's a great site, but it also has a lot of really good user information. We also webcast our board meetings uh, live. So if you're, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're that interested, um, and some of us are actually, right. you can actually go to uh, www.snowmarintrain.org, and uh, there's a couple of different places where you can click on view a, web, a, uh, view a board meeting. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Robert's Rules. Do, um, do you, would you like to speak at other locations other than the radio show? I do that a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm always happy to um, speak at different organizations. I do speak to a lot of community groups. Uh, I do the Rotary Circuit. I've been doing that for about five years now. Um, so I have I have different presentations that I can I can deliver. I, I I'm a I'm a mobile uh, audiovisual unit. I can actually bring a screen and a projector and a computer, and I can show pictures. Most of my PowerPoint presentations are picture based, so that's just not words. Um, I've actually learned over the years that pictures can speak a thousand words. Yeah. yeah. And John. 
your contact info and stuff like that? Yeah, my contact info, uh, is, it's very similar to Matt's. Uh, it's jzanzi, J-Z-A-N-Z-I, at sonomamarinetrain.org. Um, and again, please contact me with any thoughts. If, if I don't have the answers, I know who does. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's safety-related, it would probably fall to me. But if it's something else, let me know, and uh, we'll get it to the right person. Um, as far as things I wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about, I think um, one is more of a perception. You know, I, I came to SMART not from the railroad industry, so I'm kind of an outsider in that respect. Uh, but when I came to the organization, I was very impressed on how well everyone there works together. You know, we have a very diverse group of people. We have uh, um, a great project manager in our general manager. He, he, he really excels in project management, and it really trickles down throughout the organization. Um, we have uh, some very dedicated people in our own staff from engineering to real estate to safety to operations. Um, but then we have major contractors that are helping us build the rail line after actually, you know, with the shovels and the backhoes and the machinery building it. And our general manager has put them all in the same place. So all of our contractors work in our office. We sit down next to them on a day-to-day basis. We all talk to each other. We have the same computer system, the same radio system, the same phone systems. And it's really built this wonderful team that is super motivated to build a world-class rail system. And I'm not just saying that to pat our back. Just that doesn't happen everywhere. And uh, we're really yeah, it's ex- amazing. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm really excited. I, you know. I get up on Monday morning and, and I'm, that's like, I get, you know, I want to get to work. I want to go do something and, and work with these people because, um, the expertise they have and the, and the, the drive and motivation they have has been wonderful. And you don't find that in government all the time. Mm-hmm. Not all government agencies have that spark and this one does. And, yeah, um, and we have a board of directors that, that really encourages us to have that spark. And mm-hmm. so, Anyway, well, you're fortunate that that yeah. it's come together in the way that it has, and it sounds like it's you know being fortunate a lot of times really is, has to do with preparation. So somebody has been thinking through these processes for a long time and getting the right people in there, you know, people that think and feel you know somewhat in the same directions. I would assume. So, Richard, well, I was you, go ahead. okay. Well. Um, we want to support you any way we can, and I, I talked with John about. Uh, meeting with the, the, the different uh, disability groups like the Obama Center and uh, Disability Services and Legal Center. So I'd like to support you in that. And we have a DP for VP meetings uh, periodically that it would be wonderful if you could attend. Yeah. Disaster preparedness for vulnerable populations. Oh, interesting. Why, why, interestingly enough, we have a meeting tomorrow. <laughs> and we're going to be discussing... Uh, Interfaith and the voluntary organizations assisting in disaster, so the uh, the VOAD system, and it's going to be from one to three at the two one one Sonoma uh, office at two five five zero Pauline Drive, Santa Rosa, California, and um, that would be a good meeting for you to attend because we're going to be talking with church groups and also other voluntary organizations. Um, we also have a Spanish group. Not to advertise, but what the heck. Um, uh, Tuesday, February 10th from 2 to 4. So we're at the same office, 211. And then we have the DP for VP uh, meeting on uh, Tuesday, February 24th. And we're going to be talking about 211 and how to get information out into the community through the 211 system. So that would be something you might be interested in as well. And the, the meeting tomorrow actually is like a VOAD? 
we're trying to bring <coughs> BOED, which is volunteer organizations, <coughs> assisting in disasters. Yeah. Uh, but we're trying to bring, see if we can't put a little bit more life in that. And actually, two one one has taken that on, right? Right. Under, under their, the umbrella of the volunteer center, which I think is where it used to be before. But now two one one is taking it on. So it's pretty exciting that there's some things like that that are going on. You know, as far as emergency preparedness goes, we want to try to have a little bit of time together. So I just really want to say thank you so much for being able to, you know, come here, talk with us, bring the information. Pleasure to meet you. You you wanted to talk about trees, trees, tree replacement. Oh, well, actually, first, I just want to say thank you for inviting us uh, to your radio show. It's actually been a great pleasure. And I encourage people to contact us with their questions and and uh, and visit our websites. Um, well, actually, since we had that conversation during the break, uh, I thought of one particular tree I wanted to mention, and this is the Chimera Coast Redwood tree in Katadi. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a... You know, I mentioned the, the mitigation requirements for our work in wetlands. We also have a mitigation requirement for the trees that we remove uh, along the corridor. Because this is an old rail corridor and hasn't been utilized much in the, since the 1950s, trees have grown up in it and we've had to remove those trees and we have to replace those trees mm-hmm. and so we are working with one of the local nonprofits who do this kind of thing to do a tree planting program and so we are doing that but i just want to mention to your listeners that we did have to we did relocate uh, a very rare tree in katati it was a redwood tree that was part albino and part normal mm-hmm. um is it, it has two complete separate sets of genetic code in the tree mm-hmm. And they're very rare, and so we actually uh, removed the tree from its location, which is right next to the tracks. We were going to have to cut its roots and essentially just kill it. And so we actually relocated it to a a place about 500 feet south of where it was in Katadi. It was a successful relocation, and you'll be able to see that tree uh, from the train when you get on and off of it in Katadi. The tree's doing very well. Uh, it has its own irrigation system, so it's actually getting more water than it was getting at its old, old, old location. So, how tall is it? It's, I think, it was about fifty feet tall. Wow, um, yeah, very yeah, cool. Not easy to move. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, if you go to our Facebook page, I'll do a plug on that. Um, so, it's Facebook forward slash uh, Smart Train. Um, the uh, there's a video uh, that uh, a photographer from the Press Democrat did uh, of the tree being lifted over the power lines wow. uh, on East Tati <laughs> Avenue. I'd like to see that. Yeah, so check that out. That's yeah, That's wonderful. Thanks, you, you folks are wonderful. Um, I really appreciate you being here. And uh, I, I hope we get to see each other again. So. Thanks, John. Yeah, terrific. Yeah. Thank you for, for allowing us to be here and sharing, you know, what, what we're doing in our world with the rest of your listeners. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, John. And please come back if you want to have any information, any other information. Feel free to, to invite us. Okay. Yeah, okay. okay. Very good. We'll All right. And you don't necessarily have to leave, uh, but we need to at least just cover a couple of different things. Okay. What, what do you want to cover? Well, I want to do the who cares. You know, <laughs> the who cares. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We, met, we, we started a process call, you know, that we call a segment of the program that we call Who Cares. And um, um, because I've been involved with the CERT program in Sebastopol, I, I started out talking about CERT people, and I want to continue that process. So Zeke 
Britton. That's how I've always said her last name is Britton. Zeke Britton is somebody that's been on the board for years and years and years. Um, I mean, actually, they only started in 2006. But um, she has been such a strong part of the board, and she has taken on the shelter program in Sebastopol. Um, so she's had training from the Red Cross on being able to open a shelter. Um, she knows that process. She has worked with others within the community to also take the Redwood, um, uh, the Red Cross training, in order to be able to deal with the, in order to be able to deal with the, um, and the opening of the shelter, the operating of the shelter, and she's been managing that program now since since the start of that program. So she's been able to get local people as well as the Red Cross to come together to help us. And it's been a, a huge, huge thing for us to be able to um, have her do that work. She's also a very strong character in association to um, what needs to be done um, at the board level, what needs to be done at the community level for us. So I really want to be able to um, acknowledge um, Zeke. And even though um, John, John has actually left the building, I want to be able to acknowledge John Zanzi also, because if it wasn't for um, John, for Chief Zanzi at the time, if it wasn't for him and his interest and his long-term view of what the city of Sebastopol might need, um, the CERT program would not have ever gotten off the ground in the beginning and certainly wouldn't have been able to um, sustain itself over the, over the initial years that it did. And um, he was also an inspiration, I think, for the people that came together. So um, John certainly is a person is a person who cares. I guess we'd have to add Matt in yes, that way yeah. because he's obviously a person that cares. And yeah. you have some people too? Oh, I have many people. <laughs> um, Chris Love from the Department of Health yes, has yes. been involved with DP for VP for since the inception and has put our forms on, on the uh, county public health, and, and she is just tireless in her dedication to humanity. And, uh, and a really sharp person. And a very sharp person. <laughs> so we thank Chris. Right. Um, I think there's some of the people that come to your DP for VP meeting that have been fairly consistent over time. I mean, Roger right. certainly comes to mind for that, right. too. And, Zach. And Zach, yeah. Zach uh, Campbell works with... Um, Office of Emergency Services. Office of Emergency Services. I mean, yeah. he's very consistent. As to the meetings that he goes to, right. and then what he brings to those meetings too, they keep on. They keep giving the space, you know, for the emergency operations center for us to be able to do meetings there, right. which is greatly appreciated. So when I suggested that uh, John and Matt show up at our three meetings, and I'll repeat those, and I'll put them on joyofpreparedness.com in case you can't write them down fast enough. But uh, tomorrow at uh, from one to three at. 211 uh, Sonoma County office is the interfaith meeting. And if so if you have a church that you would like to get involved with disaster preparedness, that would be a wonderful meeting to attend. If you have an organization that uh, you would like to get involved with disaster preparedness, that would be a wonderful meeting to attend. What happens if you do get involved is you get to meet wonderful people, uh, people who care about each other and, and want to support each other. So... So that meeting is going to be very exciting um, from 1 to 3 at two, the 211 office. And so let me just ask real quick, that how long have, 
has be DP for VP then you mean? About fifteen years, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So well seasoned. Well seasoned. <laughs> so uh, and also, if you have um, organizations or, or that are interested in Spanish speaking populations, we do have a, a disaster preparedness meeting on Tuesday, February tenth, um, that you might want to to attend from two to four at the two one one office. And then if you'd like to have your organization know about two one one and how to participate in that, um, come to our, uh, February 24th meeting from two to four at uh, noon to two at uh two one one office. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I'll put that all on the, the joy of preparedness. Great. Great. Com. Yeah. I, I think the sense that we're, we're trying to bring, or, or not just us, but I mean other people. There's a group of people that are trying to bring um, sort of like the interfaith group uh, together. There is there is a, 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 a semi-active interfaith group, and we're trying to see if we can't get a little bit more action going on within that. Part of the reason being just that faith faith-based organizations, much like if you think about neighborhoods, um, there's already a group of people in line in their thinking at least in one if not more than one way and reasons already for coming together on a periodic basis um, and it is situations like that that allows for the conversation of preparedness and emergency preparedness in general to be able to be um, had brought up and and typically those people are much people that are already working in existing groups like that are much more willing to come together so I mean that's one of the things that I feel really good about assisting, trying to put more energy into that happening. The same is on the Spanish side. Um, I'm really glad that we're, that there is an effort to try to get um, more knowledge, or, or for us to know more about what's happening in the Spanish community, because there could already be a whole lot of preparedness happening that we're not aware of, um, but then also to be able to bring information to bear into that community, because there are a lot of disaster um, preparedness and response information that is already um, in uh, Spanish that can be brought to those communities, and they may or may not know about them. So I think right. these, are, these are very exciting meetings. Yeah. Um, what, what you'll find if you participate in the joy of preparedness is that uh, you get to meet wonderful people and that there isn't anything that you have to – you don't have to study. Th things are available online at, on our website on uh, the FEMA website, on the American Red Cross website. So you don't have to know anything to, to begin. You just have to know that you care about people and you care about your family and your neighbors and, 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 you yourself. Do, and yourself, yeah, and you yeah. want to do something about it. And I, I really want to get this across is put shoes under your bed. <laughs> because, right. yeah, the, it, during the Napa... Um, I've said this before, but I'll say it again because I just want you to get those shoes under your bed. Um, during the Napa earthquake, there are over 200 people that went to the hospital, and 80% of those people had cuts on their feet. And so we don't want you walking on glass. Yeah, yeah. it was a huge percentage of the first wave of people that made it into hospitals was just from glass damage to the feet. Yeah, or the other 20% was primarily uh, damage to the hands, yeah, trying to pick, pick things them up. That's the other thing that we talk about. I mean, and it's not just us. I mean, again, sort of like basic, basic information is to have, you know, shoes, gloves, 
They sent you a little bit of a sort of like a go kit, you know, right underneath your bed in case something were to happen, or maybe two, another one strategically placed somewhere else in your home um, that you know that you can get to and that you're going to have some of the things that you need. And we say these things over and over again. One of them is money. Put right. some cash in these these little go kits that you have for yourself because if it, if it is a major area-wide disaster, in an earthquake in particular, in all probability, the ATMs won't work. So you won't be able to access that big wad of cash you have in the bank. You'll have to have it in your go bag. Right. So the more conscious you become of uh, your, your personal responsibilities and your responsibilities to your family and neighbors, uh, the more joyful you will be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really does. It really does bring people together in a way, um, you know, that you end up getting some joy out of it, you know, and you end up getting the opportunity to be able to spend time with people, not dealing with an impending doom-filled disaster that might happen, but just sort of like what Matt was saying earlier. It's just sort of like the right thing to do, you know. What, right. what, what, what might happen, and what could you do about it, and. Like, say, for Richard and I, you know, like, what, what sort of skills and what sort of equipment around the home or things like that that Richard might have and what might I have that he doesn't have, you know, that then we can sort of fill in and be able to essentially work together if something were to happen. And that sense of working together is, is extremely important. Right. And, and, and building your confidence that you know what to do if a disaster were to occur. Mm -hmm. And your child will know what to do if a disaster or your senior parent right. yeah yeah it's really important as far as the kids go i mean to be able to i saw somebody that had a sign on their house actually that was that said escape route and at first i sort of just chuckled like oh escape route but but then i realized what they were doing is that they were identifying maybe just through an, an educational process for themselves identifying what their escape route was in associations of their property and that's actually something that people should know is something were to happen where are you going to go? Are you going to go out the front? You're going to go out the back. You're going to go out the garage. If you have a garage, you're going to, if you're upstairs, what do you do about upstairs? You know, you need to think through these kinds of things, and it doesn't take a lot. It might take a conversation just within your family structure or within your neighborhood structure to figure out the things that you would need to do. And then, frankly, it's just in the back of your mind. It's it's just there. You don't have to think about it during that time of chaos when thinking sort of goes out there out the window for a little while and you're on automatic pilot and your automatic pilot is basing a lot of what it's doing in, in, in fear and if you have some basic information in there for the autopilot to work with it doesn't have to just use the fear instead it can use what it's already been taught it, and the the joy of preparedness is that the, the relationships you build like before I got involved with disaster preparedness I didn't know skip and <laughs> and now we have a radio show together so what you'll find is uh, the relationships you build will assist you not only in disaster preparedness but dealing with the other issues that we have like income inequality and and right. water and and uh, no, all, all the other issues that we feel overwhelmed by. But um, but if you begin to participate and take responsibility for your life and the life of your neighbors, all of a sudden you, you will be able to see things that you can do to help other issues as well. Right. I mean, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, to use the, the smart with Matt and John here today, I mean, some people consider that to be quite controversial. Right. You know, and, and I really appreciate the fact that what we're doing is just simply trying to talk around 
okay, but, but how is this particular thing, whether it's controversial or not, how is this particular thing, the smart train, going to relate in, 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 you know, during the times of a, of, a, of a disaster or an emergency? And I really appreciated the example of, well, what if 101 does essentially, like at Petaluma or other places in Sonoma County, what if it gets so broken up that you can't actually use 101? The train would be there. The train would be there to operate. You know, I mean, I hadn't really thought about how can that work. And actually, I, I should, I'll, I'll get this answered by by one of them. But how much additional capacity can they add, and in what period of time, in order to be able to, if if all of a sudden 101 did go down, what would they do about um, the additional traffic that would be um, coming to the train? So that would be something to try to check out. And I'm sure it sounds like they've thought of all of these things. So uh, next month, we're going to have Suchi, hopefully. Um, so we're going to talk to them Monday to, make, to firm it up. And Suchi. Yeah, Suchi is a wonderful organization that comes in. They went in after Katrina. I watched a, a brilliant uh, podcast or whatever it was about the hope for Haiti, and they're, they're really working hard in Haiti and building up uh, – Churches, so it's a it's a Chinese Buddhist group, uh, and you could go online. It's T Z U C H I, um, and go online and watch some of their materials on their website, and you you'll be amazed at how uh, beneficial they are to society. Yeah, they're, they're still in Napa, if I'm not. Yes, probably so. And they're still in Haiti too. Yeah, Yeah. still assisting people. Well, as long as we're going to acknowledge people, you know, organizations or something like that, um, our CERT group, the Sebastopol CERT group, once again has just recently received (laughs) um, a donation from the Sebastopol Hardware Center. They have these little tip jars, and I know right. this is how Suchi short sort of operates, uh, but they have these tip jars at each of their um, payment counters where the cashiers are, and people can throw their change into these little tip jars, and it, and it speaks about Sebastopol Cert, and they're big supporters of that. And they have consistently over time used those tip jars um, to collect some change, and then they, they, they send us a check for that, and sometimes they match those funds. They're just such a huge supporter of disaster preparedness in not just Sebastopol, but in the West County in general because they really serve a much larger area than just Sebastopol. So those those folks at Sebastopol Hardware Center, they really they, they, they deserve some some acknowledgement. And there it is. Yeah. So so you should uh, tune in the first Sunday of March and for the Tsuchi. And also, we're probably going to have uh, a group from American Red Cross that Skip doesn't know about because I just found out about it. Uh, th- they will be the second half, uh, and they're a, a group of um, American Red Cross workers that who uh, are funded through, the, uh, oh, Lord, Something. AmeriCorps. Oh, okay. I think so. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so they're a delightful group, too. And they are willing to do trainings and and, uh, drills and things like that. So your organization might be able to take advantage of them, too. Yeah, and yeah, we had, I think it was Matt maybe that had brought up uh, talking to Transition Sebastopol. So we'll make an effort to see if we can't get uh, Transition Sebastopol to come on at some point, too, so we can talk about what they're doing. Because I believe they have a whole preparedness group. Um, you know that within that organization, so we'd like to get them to come in and talk to. So, if you're a transition Sebastopol person, 
Yeah, we want to meet with you. Yes. Yeah. So, Richard, there it is. Yes, Kip. February 1st. We love you all. Participate. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you. Or no, we'll talk to you uh, next time. Yes.